You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Just, just start this whole thing of prayer. We, we just got done with this whole thing of prayer. I wanted to do this because um, I don't, I don't see this a whole lot in our world. Uh, partly because I, I don't know what it is. If it's because I lack faith to uh, to ask for prayer. Or if I lack the discipline to stop when people say, hey, could you pray for this? And just stop and pray right there. I know um, when Colby came walking around to this church, some things changed inside of me, helping me understand what it means to pray all the time, almost annoyingly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I just One of the things I've I'm, I'm been more and more convicted of recently is that if I say, if I believe in what I actually say I believe in, if I believe in the God that I actually read in the Scriptures, and if I believe in what God says about what prayer is and how I can relate with Him and what this is when we gather together, if I believe those things, my life would look very different than what it looks today, than what it looks right now. I love being able to show up at church here and spend time with my weird family. I love calling you guys my weird family. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I have another weird family that's biologically related to me. Some of them are here today. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the family I came from, the, uh, the Faltinskis, the, Wis- the Faltinskis of the Wisconsin Faltinskis. They're, uh, they're a weird group of people. Um, everyone has family dynamics. Everyone has family dynamics. Uh, you grew up in a family. You have family dynamics. They might be a little bit weird. Your relationship with your father and your mother might be a little bit weird, might be a little bit tense, might be a little bit awesome. You might not have a mother or father that are around. You may have uh, difficulty with your siblings. Anybody ever punch a sibling before? Ever. Period. Okay, good. You should probably call that person or text them right now and apologize. Um, I had siblings. I had parents. My family structure was, um, I thought, very, very weird. I thought it was very, very weird. I remember one time, I'll just share a quick story about this and then tie this all in together, but I remember one time when Laura and I were first dating, which was a long time ago. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty awesome. (laughs) I won her over through karaoke. (laughs) But as we were dating, I think we were engaged at the time, we came, we went back to my parents' house, or went to my parents' house for Christmas, and uh, some of you know this about my sister, my sister struggles with some mental, uh, some mental disorders, some mental issues, she's uh, bipolar, borderline schizophrenic, and back in the day, she used to be really angry and agitated, and sometimes would blow up, and so one Christmas, we were sitting there, it's Christmas Eve, and we were hanging out, and my sister came in and just blew up, I mean, just blew up, about nothing, right, about something she didn't even know what she was blowing up about, but she did. She just blew up, freaked out everywhere, slammed the door, ran out, and we were like, what just happened? I think it was the first time Laura had ever experienced that. And without even saying anything, my or even looking at each other, my dad got up, he went downstairs and started vacuuming. My mom got up, she started cleaning the kitchen, and I got up and went and did the dishes without saying a word. And Laura's left in the living room going, what just happened? <laughs> We had this fine family dynamic that when things get tense, what do we do? We go to work. 
and we don't talk, and we go clean and all that type of stuff, right? And somehow the cleanness and somehow the not talking is going to make everything better. Well, what happened is eventually I grew up and I had a family of my own. And sometimes when I get tense, what do you think I do? I clench my jaw, I regress from my family, and I go enjoy some dishes or some or something. And guess what? You heard it a couple weeks ago. What is Creedon? What did Creedon admit he does for relaxation? He does the dishes. <laughs> Families are weird. And sometimes these dynamics pass down through our through generation upon generation that we don't even know how they pass on, why they, but they pass on. Family dynamics pass on. Now, here's where I'm going to tie all this in. Today, I want to take a look at what, what is it that makes a, a church family a strong church family? And what family dynamics, what dynamic of the church family should you see passed down from generation to generation to generation? It's a very interesting question because here's the thing that I think I see is I think I see that what we're doing right now in our contemporary culture is we're passing on a family dynamic that may or may not be biblical. And I don't know about this place. This place we're going to highlight a few things. And I, I just am, this week was an incredibly encouraging week um, being a part of this church. And so that's where this is going to end. Um, but today, these days, I see family dynamics being passed on through the church family that are sometimes scary trends. One of them being, we now live in the United States in the most biblically illiterate culture in the, that the United States has ever seen. Biblically illiterate culture that the United States has ever seen. And we're passing that on as a legacy to our children and to our children's children. <coughs> Today we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a fascinating letter. And it's all about a church that has gone, has gone wonky, has gone strange, has gone awry. It's all about a church that started off really strong and really, really deep. And, and it grew out of this beautiful movement of the Holy Spirit as Paul was in Corinth and brought there. But this, this church that springs up all of a sudden starts to divide. And 1 Corinthians is an incredibly corrective letter. It is correcting the things that are going wrong in a church. And so today, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that might seem really like benign. Like, why did this even get included? And there's going to be a few of these chapters. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some interesting things. Nick gets to preach next week on a relationship that uh, popped up in the First Corinthian church that is uh, a little bit, let's just say PG-13 uh, is the, the, to- the topic. It, yeah. And uh, and so and then we're going to go into things like lawsuits. This these, this church was suing each other. I mean, there's there's some stuff that's going on here that we might look at it and go, why is this even practical? Why are we reading this? But I'll tell you what, it's in the Word of God for a very real reason, especially in this context where it's coming to the First Corinthian church. The First Corinthian church was one that was created out of this culture that's incredibly. Um, uh, affluent. It's incredibly rich. It's incredibly um, me-focused. And so this letter is a letter of what can happen to a church when you sit here, I sit here, when we come here and we think that church is about me. This is what happens when church becomes about me. And we've had this etched into time and been able to study it for a couple thousand years. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. 
1 Corinthians chapter chapter 4, and this is Paul talking about um, what it means to be an apostle. Now, I made mention of this a couple weeks ago. Uh, scholars believe, we believe, I believe, that 1 Corinthians is one of four letters. It's actually the second letter. So there was a letter written between Paul and the church of Corinth, then another one, which is what we call 1 Corinthians. Then there's another one in between there that we don't have. It's been lost to antiquity. And then there's a fourth one, which would be 2 Corinthians. And there will be a few times I'll be able to highlight where the conversation changes. This is one of them. There's obviously been a conversation that's already been happening about what is an apostle and who is Paul. But here's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read it in its entirety and then I'll pick it apart a little. So then, here's how it starts. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very, care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of man's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so uh, you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in, Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus, which agrees with that, excuse me, with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon. If the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only those who are arrogant, not only how those arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip, or in love, and with a gentle spirit? Again, like I said, I warned you. You're going to read this, you're going to be like, what is, what, what is going on here? Um, there are a few things I think that are, are happening in this text. This can be a very confusing passage. And what I think is happening here is like, like I said, it's like listening to one side of a letter. Uh, or like listening to one side of a phone conversation, which unfortunately is happening less and less with people putting speakerphones on in the middle of like uh, airports. I think you guys experienced this a few times. Or in the middle of public places. Don't do that. Please stop it. Okay? Um, go somewhere else and do your, your speakerphone thing. But uh, if you ever are trying to listen to a phone conversation and you're only hearing one side of it, it's difficult to make the entirety of the conversation. You can kind of catch the gist of it, but 
this is a thing that's going on is is there's a, there's like one side of this conversation that's happening which is what is making it confusing what Paul's talking about is what it means to be an apostle and he's uh, doing it in a rather defensive tone because apparently what was happening is people were kind of discrediting or attacking them as apostles, Paul and Apollos and all those guys, because the division was like, no, this guy's a super apostle, this guy's a sub-super apostle, and this guy's not even, he shouldn't even be worth listening to. And they were dividing over these teachers again. In fact, Paul says they've got 10,000 teachers in Christ. They've got people teaching them everywhere. And then he says, but you don't have that many fathers. So in this text, I think I see Paul raising basically an incredibly helpful principle that we can actually begin to pin our lives on when it comes to what messages we listen to, what is truth, what does it look like? What does it look like when a church claims something that is true? And what should you be looking for in order to sift things that are true and that are not? And what I'm going to talk to you about is this this principle. I think it's going to come up, I think. It's called the tree and the fruit principle. And this is very simple. This is something you see throughout the entirety of the scriptures. You hear Jesus talk about this. You have Paul talking about this. But basically the idea is, and he starts off in verse 5 with this, talking about how in the end what will happen is God will come and he will reveal everything that is there. He will show it. In its due time, it will be seen for what it is. The message that is preached, the things that are there, the legacy and the family dynamics that are in a church, over time, they will be revealed for what they truly are, and God is faithful to do that. This is the idea of the tree and the fruit. You can tell a tree is a tree by what fruit it has on it, but it only only bears fruit in a single season, right? So if you can think of, right, we don't have that many trees out here right now with leaves on them, so it's really hard to tell what they are, unless, of course, you're Ray, because he's Canadian and he understands trees. He does. He tells me all the... I can say, hey, what tree is that? And he goes, his name's Bob. And um, (laughs) he was Bob. He's good to be cut cut down. But how you can tell one tree from another is the type of leaf that appears on it and then the type of fruit that it has. Right? You can tell an apple tree is an apple tree because it bears... Apples. And you can tell a peach tree is a tree because it peach tree because it bears apples. peach <laughs> apples. Yeah. In today's day and age, who knows? Yay GMOs, right? Um, but yeah, you can tell a tree what type of tree it is based on the fruit that it's going to provide. And you can also tell if the tree is sick or if it's hurting or whatever based off of the fruit that comes out of it. And this is what Paul is talking about. Is There's this controversy over whose teaching is better than whose. And Paul, put, Paul pushes pause here and says, wait, 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 wait. The fruit will be seen. Be patient when you judge. God will do the judging and He will reveal everything that is hanging, everything that's coming from these teachings, everything that's coming from these people, everything that's coming from the teachers. Now Jesus steps in and He talks about this in a very specific way, basically looking at like the fruit of the tree of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had a specific way of teaching and of preaching. They loved the Word of God. They loved the Bible. They preached right from the Bible and they preached eloquently and they talked about everything that was in it and they made sense of everything and they talked about all the rules and they stacked all the rules in a very certain way. The Pharisees were very, very, uh, were actually the most popular political party or socio-religious political party of Jesus' day. But their way, the way that they spoke, the things that they taught, it produced and focused on and promoted legalism 
you have to do what you have to do. It's a, the law is a means to protect you from sin. So let's not only go with 634 laws, but let's teach 5,000 laws so that we make sure that we don't offend God, right? Promotes legalism. It also promoted favoritism because they looked at it and they went, how can we obey the law? And let's, let's keep shifting the law so that it favors us and let's make sure that it pushes other people down because that way we understand the system of who's up and who's down. And their way also promoted judgmentalism, right? Anyone who disagreed with you disagreed with God and therefore needed to die. The fruit of that tree was death and division and destruction. The fruit of that tree was depression. And people walking away from a relation, vibrant relationship with the Lord. The fruit of that tree was the temple being twisted into a uh, what Jesus calls a den of robbers, where they're selling and buying goods in the uh, in the temple, trying to bar people from sacrificing for worship. The fruit of the tree of the Pharisees was death, and was destruction, and was division and violence. But Jesus' way was different, right? Jesus' way, the tree that Jesus that Jesus was growing, it promoted things like grace. It focused on the need one had for mercy and for transformation. It focused on humility. There, was, there, were, there were none who needed less grace. In fact, everybody needed all the grace. And in fact, Jesus came to give grace to those whom the world looked at and saw like, man, how can these people even get into heaven? And it promoted forgiveness. Anyone who disagreed with you or slapped you, what did Jesus say if they slapped you, what were you to do? Turn the other cheek. Right? And so the fruit of Jesus' tree was forgiveness and restoration and peace at a great sacrifice because as the two kingdoms met, as the two trees met, the fruit of violence and the fruit of peace and restoration, one killed the other. But even Jesus said if a, if that, that life isn't going to sprout up until a seed falls into the ground. If a fruit dies and a seed falls on the ground, then life will come out of that. There, you couldn't see it. You can't see this as clearly as in this example. The Pharisees had a certain tree that was bearing a fruit of violence, and Jesus had a certain tree that was bearing the fruit of life and forgiveness. And so this principle is the thing that stacks up here, and Paul's taking a look at this. And so when Jesus is warning the people about teaching, or the leaven, or the way of the Pharisees, he's talking about the fact that you can tell a tree by its fruit, and this is what Paul is saying here too. Don't be too quick to judge. Don't be too quick to assume you know best about somebody's teaching. Be patient and let God show the fruit. So then he turns this to looking at the fruit of the trees in Corinth. He basically picks up on this concept and he starts talking through all of this and he starts saying things like, it seems to me that God has put his apostles on display at the end of the procession. And then he goes on this list. We have been made a spectacle for the whole universe. We are fools, but you end up wise. We are weak, but you are strong. We are... You are honored and and we are dishonored. And what Paul's talking about is he's sowing in the ground these seeds of sacrifice and coming out of that is this tree of wisdom and beauty and humility is what he's seen in the church, even though it's starting to split apart. And he goes on to describe the fruit that is beginning to show on the tree of Corinth as he sows and plants his deep sacrifice into the ground. Then he goes on to say that he as an apostle, as a missionary, he's been hungry, thirsty, dressed in rags, kicked from home to home, working tirelessly. 
and that when they are attacked and they return blessing, and when they're when they're persecuted, they they just endure and so on and so on. And what he's talking about is he's talking about this is what I'm putting into the ground, and the fruit that's going to come out of that is going to be this incredible, beautiful harvest of righteousness that is in you, and a deep love for one another as our family. The very last thing he turns his eyes to is he goes, okay, but let's take a look at what's at the base of all of this. And this is where he begins to pick up the familial language and says... It's because of this deep love and this deep connection we have. It's because we are the family of God. It's because I love you as a father and I'm sending you my son and you love each other as brothers and sisters. This is the groundwork. This is the root that produces the fruit of the beauty of the kingdom of God. And then he even threatens to come and inspect the fruit. And if you caught that at the end, right? He says, some of you are arrogant saying, I will not come, but I will come. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And He's going to come and He's going to check out the teaching and the fruit that it's bearing. He's going to come and check out the fruit that it's bearing. So this is what's going on in this. is It's this principle of a tree and its fruit. Be patient. You can see what's going to be happening within a church body or within a church context. You can see what's happening as you're producing the fruit and leaving a legacy that is one of righteousness and love and holiness. But it's even bigger than that. Okay, What he's looking for is he's looking for the fruit of the kingdom of God. He's looking for the fruit of the kingdom of God. Now, I, I raised the question earlier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise it again. One of the questions I asked earlier was, okay, when you're looking at a church, what is it that you're looking for that shows that it's a healthy tree? Are you looking for fancy teaching? If you were, you wouldn't be here. Are you looking for depth of relationships? Are you looking for... Smoke and lights and awesome worship. Are you looking for an efficient church that can get you in and out in an hour? Are you looking for a place that has great marketing? Man, oh, the church has got some great marketing. Boy, look at that website. These are actually legitimately the things that I have books upon books on my bookshelf that talk about how these things are the things that draw people into churches. And here's what I think is going to happen, unfortunately, is if that's the fruit that we're looking for, if that's the fruit that we think is maturity, we're going to pass that on to generation upon generation. And just as Creedon does dishes to relax, because I learned from my parents that I have to do dishes when conflict happens, if we keep sowing in these seeds saying, oh no, you got to be the flashiest, showiest, most powerful, biggest, coolest most well put together church on the face of the planet and that is what is that's what makes you strong if we keep sowing that into our culture over over the next decade over the next two decades you're going to end up with a church that has no power no gospel no scripture no Jesus no holy spirit and definitely definitely is not the kingdom of god now, I told you I was going to end on a very uh, encouraging note. You know, like, wow, this is not really encouraging right this second. Um, this week I got to have an incredible experience. And I'll just go off of my notes here and shut that thing down. This week I got to have an incredible experience. 
Um, Laura and I have been here for almost seven years. It's almost seven years. In August, it'll be seven years. <laughs> She's like, what? Yeah, it's almost seven years. It'll be seven years this August. We've been here for a little while. When we got here six years ago, um, the the church was located in a different place. I think you guys know that. We've talked about that. It was on the west side of church. and uh, West side of church. West side of town. Um, and uh, some of you are here, and you may or may not agree with this, and we'll talk later. And I hope you're not offended. I don't want to offend you. There's only about a handful of the people that are still here that were part of that church. Who here was part of the church? Who here was there in the other building? They all sit in that section, and I don't know why. I mean, there's yeah, there's one, there's one over there, and there's two over here. These guys were, uh, and but all of these guys that had their hands up, um, actually, put your hands up again. And one back here, there's a couple back here. These guys are, were the remaining root of the fruit of this tree today. Okay? When we first got here, though, this church had gone through some turmoil. We'll just put it that way. Some, some changes. Some, some, some wild swings of things. And when we got here, I think everybody was kind of in whiplash. Like, here we go again. We've got to deal with this Boltinsky character until he packs up and leaves. Right? And there was like this, uh, you could see it. People would be out in the parking lot just, eh, having a good time. And then as soon as they walk in the door of the church, they're like... And they sit down, and I'm being a little dramatic, of course, but then they sit down, and we'd talk a little bit, and it'd be great, and we kind of did this churchy thing, and then as soon as as soon as soon church was over with, because we had another group coming in, every, we were renting out the space to uh, another church, but as we had another group coming in, everybody would just leave. would be like, see you guys next week. And so it's a little like that uh, Wiley Coyote and the Sheepdog, you know, like, Ralph... And they're doing their job day in and day out. It was kind of like that whole thing. And there was this sense of like just a weight of injured pain that was there. Well, and God moved. And I remember it clearly, actually. It was uh, right around Christmas of that year. We, uh, we, had this, uh, we had this children's Christmas program that was horribly, it went horribly wrong, right? Like we had, how many kids? Six kids? Is that right? Maybe six kids that were signed up and we were doubling up on parts and like three of them got the stomach flu. So we lost half of our kids for all the parts and all that stuff and all this practice I went. And yeah, it was this really interesting thing. And we pulled it off and all that stuff. And, and I'll never forget that that night... There were about half a dozen to a dozen people that stood around and talked for about 20 minutes. I know it doesn't sound like much. But for us, for Laura and I, we were like, whoa, whoa. Then by the next week, people stuck around after church. And they they hung out. They talked for about a half an hour. And we were like, wait a minute, that's scary. Who are these people? What, What is happening here? And then, fast forward six years... It's like jumping through a lot of stuff, right? Fast forward six years. Last week, um, man, I just got to praise God for what he did here last week. Uh, Last week, after church was done, I could not kick people out of here, first of all. Y'all were... I wanted to kick y'all out. But everybody was sticking around and talking and laughing and enjoying conversation. And I got to sit back going, who are these people? And then we had a we had a prayer and worship night last night, our first refuge city, because we got to market everything awesomely. Um, but I also made a great logo graphic for it this week. But anyways, let's not hear or there, right? But 
<laughs> but we had this last week. We had this group of people that gathered here, and there were about fifty-five people that gathered here, and we prayed and we praised God and we worshipped and we spent time praying for one another and we listened to each other's concerns and we praised Jesus for what he was doing and we didn't sit there and look at our watches going, when is this going to be done because I got somewhere to be? And then afterwards, I couldn't kick anybody out for another hour. And then I sat back and I went, my goodness, this is a group of people who love worshiping Jesus together, who love praying for one another, who love singing to the God that they believe in, and who love talking to the people they're connected with. And I don't know any other better way to see the fruit of the Spirit. I don't. A group of people who are connected to each other, who love each other, who encourage one another, who pray for one another, who worship God together, who are convicted of their sin and admit it just because they said fine instead of I'm not doing so well this week or whatever, right? Or praying for each other or praying for people we don't even know across the planet. I don't see a whole lot of churches like that. And I'm incredibly encouraged that I'm standing in a church that bears the fruit of the kingdom of God. So... I mean, I know it's not you that does it, but good job, guys. The fruit of the kingdom of God is so much more than things like knowledge of the Bible, how much you can argue somebody into a corner, how many notches you get on your belt of evangelism, how solid and strict and straight your doctrine is, how amazing your programs are and how beautiful your stage with the crooked things are. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It is so much more. It's even bad to say. It's so much different than that. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the kingdom of God that appears inside of people is a sound doctrine that turns into hearts that yearn for the presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and will do battle on the battlefield praying for one another, who study the Word of God like it's their lifeline because apart from it they can't hear the voice of the Lord and they need to hear it. That is what I see growing and getting stronger in this place. And if you're in a place where you may or may not have ever had a church family like that, or maybe maybe you're sitting here going, well, that's not my family dynamic. I just want to tell you this. Please pass on to your children. Please pass on to the next generation. Please pass on to the church that isn't here yet. The fruit of what I see here. Those of you who are college students. Those of you who are college students, you've got to pay attention right now. Put down your phone. Stop texting. Those of you guys who are college students, how long are you here for? Let me say that, right? Like, tell, tell me how long you're here for. Ready? Everybody answer at once. How long are you here for? Okay, good. Some of you are like three years, one year. I'm leaving today. <laughs> you are not here for very long. My intention, my hope, and my prayer is that we will, we will mess you up. And we will mess you up theologically. And then I'm going to kick you off into a world where you're going to be going, why can't I find a church that loves one another? And that you will start them. That you will start them. That you will go into other places. That you will go into other people groups. That you will go across this world if you have to. And you will start churches that bear the fruit of the Spirit. Of people who love worshiping Jesus together. Who confess their sin amongst each other. Who pray to the God that they believe in. And who actually love one another so much that they can't stand to be apart. Which is what I see growing here.
And I'm incredibly encouraged by that. Today, we get to come to the table together. Now, communion means a lot of things. It's a fantastic illustration. I, I can It gets stretched all kinds of different ways in the way that I can use it as an illustration. But here's what I, here's what I will tell you today. Today, we get to come together, confessing our sin together, praising God for what He has done together, taking the cup together, and taking the bread together because His body was broken so that we don't have to be broken apart anymore, and His blood was spilled and covers us so that we can be one. It's a beautiful thing. And I will just simply invite you to come and take. We practice open communion here at Common Ground Church. That means you don't have to be a member here. Just ask that you do business with Jesus. And if you, this is probably the only practical way I could say this, if you you have been one foot in, one foot out when it comes to uh, locking in with a group of people that love Jesus together. Or maybe you've only had an intellectual relationship with Jesus where it was about your teaching and your doctrine. I think this chapter is pushing you back to say, hey, here's the deal. You've got to look at the fruit, man, because if there's not a whole lot of fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, then something went wonky in your doctrine. If there's not a whole lot of the fruit of unity of the kingdom of God, then something has gone wonky in your doctrine. And so we need to take a look at this. If you need to take a look at yourself... This is a time to do that. But for those of you who are growing in Christ, who are moving forward, who are having to figure out your doctrine and explain all of that and learn from the Scriptures, but also are stacking that and living it well so that the fruit of the Spirit is pouring out of you, come and praise Jesus for what He has done and praise Jesus for the fact that he's, you're, you're united to a body of believers and the fruit of the kingdom of God is appearing in your midst. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if the kingdom of God is truly at hand in our midst, if the kingdom of God is truly within us collectively, then the fruit that appears in this place will taste like joy and love and hope and healing, and it will be powerful. And Lord, I see that in my brothers and sisters that are here. I see that in my brothers and sisters that are here, that we come to you in prayer and in love and in a hope of your healing. We ask for your healing. We talk about the things where we're broken. We talk about the needs that we have for one another. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pass on a legacy where we care about one another, where we learn from you, where we hear from your spirit, we hear from your word, and we live it out. Lord, I pray that the things that we say we believe would be actually real to us. And not through some weird trick or mental manipulation, but through the active power of your Holy Spirit as you regenerate us, as you grow us from the inside out. So we pray, I pray that you will bear fruit in these people. And that at this moment, as we come to your table, that this will be a moment where we are saying to you, please, please bring fruit. Please bear fruit in my life. Lord, we love you and we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.